Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today, Tim. We get to discuss this possible abduction, this disappearance, this missing person. We get to discuss this person and not a lot's out there. So it feels good when we're able to bring something a little bit, I don't know, shine a brighter light on a person who hasn't had a lot of attention in, you know, in in recent history. Uh, So that's good. Can't wait to get to that. But first, Tim, how are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks a lot for asking. Uh, Yeah, this case, the disappearance of Lynn Burdick from Florida, Massachusetts in April of 1982 is is quite a mystery. And we're going to go through it in just a few minutes. But um, before we do, we just want to let you know about a few things going on in the world of Crawl Space Media. We are headed to CrimeCon this week, so we're going to be there this weekend. If you're listening to this and you are attending CrimeCon... Come by and say hi. We're going to be there right on Podcast Row. We've also got a Dark Valley presentation with Jane Borowski that is going to take place on Friday afternoon at CrimeCon. So definitely swing by and check that out. We have Jane Borowski, the surviving attack victim of the Connecticut River Valley killer. She will be part of our panel along with Jennifer Amell, who's a producer and host of Dark Valley. And I think we're kicking off the panels, at least for the podcast, uh, Friday afternoon. Yeah, let's let's kick it off. And right after that, there will be a meet and greet with the Dark Valley team. So if you are there, stick around for the meet and greet because I know a lot of people aren't going to be able to get their questions in to Jane and to the rest of the team uh, during that panel. So it would be a good opportunity to get the questions in after the fact if you'd like. Also, Tim, holy crap, we're going to be at an award ceremony. I just looked at what I have for suits. I have to bring a suit to CrimeCon <laughs> this year. Yeah, me too. I know. I'm gonna. I'm in the same boat looking for, uh, for suits for this Saturday night at the Clue Awards. We're actually nominated for a Clue Award for one of our other podcasts called Crawl Space. Um, pretty shocking to see this nomination, and uh, especially because of who we're up against. Uh, so it's in the Outstanding Episodic Series category. And I joked about it in an email that we would feel like Sally Field if we won and uh, recreate the moment that she had when she won for uh, Places in the Heart, where she comes on stage and says, you like me, you really like me. So that's been a a consideration. So uh, I don't know who's (laughs) responsible for the voting, but if you want to hear that, make sure you uh, stuff the ballot box. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be a great weekend. So definitely come by and say hi. And also follow us on social media. We're there at Missing CSM. 
And we mentioned Dark Valley earlier. We do have a subscription service that is bundled with Dark Valley and Crawl Space, and you can get it at missing.supportingcast.fm if you're not an Apple user. But if you're an Apple user, you can subscribe right there on Apple Podcasts. It's $4.99 a month. You get early releases, ad-free episodes, and our weekly bonus show, which everybody loves. And Tim, we've been promoting our nonprofit, Private Investigations for the Missing, and coming up on October 8th, Sunday, October 8th, at 11 a.m. in Reading, Massachusetts. Private Investigations for the Missing will be hosting their first annual 5K run slash walk for the missing. You can go to piftm.org slash run if you want to register or if you want to donate or if you want to register to run virtually. So that's been a new element that's been added. You can run a 5K anytime between now and October 15th. Just take a picture of your time and that's how we're going to qualify that. And John Lorden threw down the gauntlet that he would be able to beat pretty much everyone's time he specifically said my time but i'm pretty sure he meant like everyone's time and he went online and looked at the map of the route programmed his treadmill i didn't even know you could do this he programmed his treadmill to match everything about the route turns elevations the route that he's running on his treadmill is like the exact route (laughs) that we're going to be running in terms of elevation and and turns and everything that's cute john yeah, right? Like, he can't just do it. He's got he's to really do it. So uh, that'll be fun to see. And then he's going to live stream his results at the end and probably do, a, like, a FaceTime or something. Cool. Well, yeah, this is going to be a great event. I'm looking forward to it. So definitely sign up. And you can go to piftm.org slash run to sign up. And before we get to Lynn Burdick, we're going to break real quick for a couple of commercials. Lynn Burdick was 18 when she went missing from Florida, Massachusetts on April 17th, 1982. She's a white female, 5'4", 115 pounds, brown hair, blue eyes. She wears eyeglasses. And she was wearing her McCann Vocational Technical High School class ring with a blue stone and her initials or name engraved on it. And she was wearing her McCann high school jacket and jeans as well. And she's officially classified as endangered missing. And her date of birth is February 4th of 1964, which would make her 59 years old. And in April of 1982, Lynn was 18 years old. As you said, she was attending the McCann Vocational Technical High School in North Adams, Massachusetts. And this is a very far, I guess, northwestern corner of Massachusetts. So remote in the sense that it's not close to the major cities in Massachusetts, like Springfield, Worcester, and Boston. As an 18-year-old, she was a bit shy, but she was a great student. She excelled in school, loved everything about it, and she was a senior but didn't have plans to attend college, mostly because of the cost, unfortunately. And also, unfortunately, her mom was sick with a chronic illness. And Lynn stayed with her mom to take care of her. Yep, and Lynn had a job at a local convenience store, and she was saving up to attend college one day. And the Burdicks grew up in a small blue farmhouse in Florida, Massachusetts. And Lynn was the youngest of four children. And growing up, the kids cared for the farm, which was about 25 acres of land, 
They grew potatoes, corn, turnips, and they had chickens, cows, and pigs. And by all accounts, the kids had a lot of fun growing up and working on the farm. And Tim, I've got to ask you, did you know anybody when you were growing up who had a farm? Any one of your classmates in, in grammar school or middle school or high school? Nah, I grew up in Medford, Massachusetts. Not a lot of farmland. <laughs> There's no farmland in Medford. Uh, it's a suburb of Boston. So yeah, it, even though we're in the same state as uh, Florida, Massachusetts, it's uh, you know c- quite a distance away as far as stuff like that goes. I know what you're saying there because obviously I've been to Medford, Massachusetts. I grew up in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, and there was Jaffrey and Ringe and Peterborough, and there there were uh, some farmlands up there. And I and I remember kids getting dropped off from the bus after school we would take the bus home and certain kids would get dropped off and then they would walk out to their farm and i remember some kids on the bus making fun of some of these kids by saying that they lived in you know they slept in the chicken coops or they you know slept in the barn and or slept on hay and i always thought that was so unfair and it was the first time i ever defended somebody in my life when they were making fun of this uh this kid he was my age he was our age and he got off he was getting off the bus and someone was saying that you know he's gonna go you know back to his chicken coop or something and i don't remember what i said it was probably stupid but i I remember defending him because i was jealous that someone would live on a farm like that was to, to me watching somebody go out there and like taking care of animals and growing things and producing for themselves was even as like a 10 year old or whatever age i was when this happened 11 or 12 like even that that young i was like aware that somebody who lives on the farm just kind of knows something that some people don't know you know what i mean sure and they're capable of stuff that everyone on that bus wasn't capable of doing right so when i read this about lynn i was like oh that really made me remember that moment yeah i think it gives you some responsibility especially for for kids i think that's a a great thing to uh to learn responsibility like that taking care of animals and crops and things like that so yeah I'm, i'm kind of envious as well And a bit of history on Florida, Massachusetts. It was settled in 1783, and as you mentioned, it's west in the state of Massachusetts, actually really in Berkshire County, which is the westernmost part of the state of Massachusetts. And it's only 10 miles from the Vermont border to its north and about 20 miles from the New York border to its west. And in 1982, Florida had a population of about 700 people, and it has not grown since. Yeah, that feels like very remote and also just feels like one of the first classic earmarks of a missing person uh, conversation when we're discussing this, that this is bordering three states or two states. So Massachusetts, Vermont, New York. And that already just adds a layer of complexity to an already baffling disappearance ab- abduction. So you're now crossing multiple state lines. Yeah, Absolutely. And um, a quick sidebar here about Florida. It's actually known for something called the Hoosack Tunnel and construction project that was quite ambitious for the time. The Hoosack Tunnel is an active railroad tunnel that passes through the Hoosack Range, which is an extension of the Green Mountains of Vermont. And work began in 1851 and ended in 1875. And when it was completed, it was the world's second longest tunnel and longest in North America until 1916, when a longer tunnel was constructed in British Columbia. But the Hoosack remains the longest active transportation tunnel east of the Rockies, and a whopping 135 verified deaths occurred during construction of the tunnel, which included an explosion that killed 13 men who were trapped by falling pieces of naphtha and iron. 
And like many old sites that had abrupt and emotional deaths, there are stories of hauntings of the Hoosack Tunnel. I'm glad you brought that up. That is a really interesting sidebar. We have talked about the Hoosack Tunnel kind of offline, whether we should do a series on that on uh, Crawl Space, if we should talk about the Hoosack Tunnel. Because while it is a very successful construction project, it did not come without its share of tragedies and fatalities. And in that became this geographical location that adds to the lore of this area in the world. Lots of ghost stories and generations of tragedy come from that tunnel. So it sort of paints a picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know a lot of large construction projects, um, th- there are always deaths. Um, and that kind of sounds crazy. But um, yeah, that seems like a lot of deaths in uh, in the construction of the Hoosack Tunnel. And uh, if you want to creep yourself out, just Google Hoosack Tunnel and images and uh and you'll see some really creepy images hoosack h-o-o-s-a-c and still functioning today right that's what you were saying yeah so we did mention that lynn's mother had an illness and lynn helped care for her and the farm but she also had other responsibilities she babysat for her nieces and nephews she was a regular at church helping out there and was inspired to participate in charity events for organizations that supported the fight against muscular dystrophy and cerebral palsy. Now, she did this because her nephew had cerebral palsy and Teresa, Lynn's good friend, had muscular dystrophy. So again, this just speaks to her responsibility and her idea that she can do something better for the world, right? When she's 18 years old and she sees her nephew and she sees her best friend suffering from these chronic, horrible, like suffering from these debilitating illnesses and she feels that, that's more of an inspiration for her to try to fight and and do something to advance the progress in fighting those illnesses. Yeah, I think it's great. She was obviously uh, personally affected by by those and, um, yeah, did what she could, you know, at, at such a young age. So I think it's great. And on April 17th, 1982, Lynn and her mom went shopping. Later in the day, the pair met up with Lynn's brother, Brian, and his wife, Bernadette, at a local bar. And then after the gathering, Lynn's father dropped her off at work. And the work was the Barefoot Peddler. That's the store which sold beer, groceries, and other small items. Lynn worked there, and it was owned by Lynn's cousin Gary and his wife Sue. And because Lynn was 17 during most of her time working there, she was not able to sell beer or cigarettes, so she couldn't technically work alone at the store. But Lynn turned 18 in February of that year and could finally sell cigarettes and beer to customers. And it just so happened that Sue and Gary's son was sick on the evening of April 17th, And Lynn's friend, Teresa, who we mentioned earlier, also liked to hang out with Lynn at the store during her shifts, but she was busy that evening as well. So this would be Lynn's first solo shift at the Barefoot Peddler. I always found it interesting that you're not able to do something like sell cigarettes and beer at a convenience store if you're working there. If you're legally able to work at 16 or 15 and a half or whatever it is, and you're not able, legally able to sell cigarettes and beer until you're 18, like what is really the difference there? I guess you have to set some sort of guidelines around these things, but not even really knowing why I'm bringing this up right now, it was always sort of an achievement because we had jobs in the service industry, and I don't know how young you were, but I, I, I did work in a, in a restaurant and turned 18 and was able to serve alcohol, and it feels like a, an accomplishment. It's just something that came along with turning 18, and I wonder if Lynn felt the same way, that she could now say yes to people when they asked for their pack of Winstons or something. 
And Sue, one of the owners, called to check on Lynn around 8 p.m. that evening. And she was on the phone with Lynn when she heard a person enter the store. And Lynn apparently told Sue that I have to help this person with some stuff. And she hung up. And then about nearly a half hour later, Brian, Lynn's brother, he calls the store to see if she needed a ride home after her shift ended at 9 p.m. But Lynn didn't answer the phone Brian wasn't alarmed at this because he just figured she was busy getting the store ready to be closed. And soon after that, a local person went into the store only to find it abandoned. And that unidentified customer called Lynn's family to let them know that she wasn't there. Speaks to how small the town is probably there a little bit. And then Lynn's brother immediately drove to the store but did not find her. And no one was there. And that's when he called police. It's interesting you said that this speaks to how small the town is and how that probably helped in this situation, even though the end result isn't what they wanted. It helped at least to get the word out there fast that she's not lost in the mix of a huge population and a huge area. It's, you know, very tight knit. And if you're just calling up somebody at random and you look real quick in the phone book or you already know their number, I think that probably helped in this situation. And, and help to communicate that to law enforcement, to, uh, to the police. Yeah, I mean, that customer could have just left, could have, could have yep. stole things, could, could have done a lot of things but, um, instead of called the verdicts. But, so that was a pretty, uh, pretty great thing. Yeah, I'm probably not thinking like there's a lot of trouble here. Maybe it was just thinking she left and forgot to turn the lights off or, sh- or lock the door uh, after closing or she closed early and forgot to do these things. So mm-hmm. the concern level was already at a point regardless of what anyone's perceived outcome was. And when police arrived, they found the store empty and a little over $100 was missing from the register. But under the counter, there was a container with money in it, and whoever was in the store was unaware of that money. And also, Lynn was reading a book that was still open on the counter. And these facts likely led police to believe this obviously wasn't an inside job, but instead a possible abduction. And I think we're all assuming right now that the person who came in that Lynn had to help is most likely the person that abducted her. And good call on it not being an inside job because a person who worked there would know that there's extra money. And also, why are you, why are you taking Lynn if it's an inside job? You, you know her. Right. I guess that's one thing. But it's never come up since then that somebody else in, who worked there was a suspect. So they kind of nailed it right there. I, I think is a yeah. good is a good assumption to make. Yeah, and I think you're right about that person um, entering the store. It definitely doesn't seem like a uh, very busy store. Um, certainly, uh, sort of late in a, in an April evening, and uh, it was communicated very early in the investigation that the Burdicks would never expect Lynn to run off, and she wasn't known to have a boyfriend or any other friends who would whisk her away like that. So police and volunteers were thrust into search mode and began a massive search for Lynn. And the community even banded together to raise money for a $2,500 reward. And I did the math on this. Uh, $2,500 today would be about $7,900. So just under $8,000 today. Pretty good reward. Pretty good reward for a very, very working class community at the last minute scraping together some cash to bring some answers to this family, yeah. And the official search for Lynn lasted about three weeks and included exhaustive ground and air searches of Florida and nearby towns. And I want to mention that the Barefoot Peddler was close to Route 2, which is 
basically the only major route that goes through Florida, Massachusetts, and it runs east to west, and that is the route that crosses into New York and then eventually connects up to other highways going into Vermont. And Faye, one of Lynn's sisters, mentioned that their brother Brian would hike on the mountains and even entered a few abandoned camps looking for clues or anyone who might know where Lynn was. But unfortunately, he came up empty. So the Burdick family, they believed that Lynn was abducted from the store. I think that's a very safe assumption for the family to make. Investigators also agreed with that early on as well, especially after hearing about another incident that took place 13 miles away and only 45 minutes before Lynn disappeared. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. So on the same day that Lynn went missing from the Barefoot Peddler, just 14 miles away in the sleepy area of Williamstown, a college student was nearly abducted. And luckily, this woman was able to break free from the man, run away and call police. But the man wasn't captured. Unfortunately, he escaped in his vehicle and is believed to have made it to Florida, Massachusetts, where he abducted Lynn. Yeah, and police have followed up on hundreds of tips and leads from all over the country, but sadly, the case went cold, even with this additional information. And it sure seems like this isn't one of the missing persons cases that we discuss that have an element of police maybe not showing the same urgency as the family, or perhaps years have gone by and leads have dried up and there aren't avenues of investigation. But in Lynn's disappearance, this, again, doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, in fact, the Berkshire District Attorney's Office has hired a special investigator to bring fresh eyes to all unresolved homicides. So that's the Berkshire District Attorney's Office. So it's the same area where Lynn disappeared. And part of the Massachusetts State Police Unresolved Cases Unit's idea was to distribute decks of playing cards. And a lot of people are familiar with this throughout the mass state prison system in hopes of obtaining information. And on August 30th of 2022, so a little more than a year ago, police released information to the media about this attempted abduction in connection with Lynn's disappearance. They even shared composite sketches of the man at the time of the attempted abduction and aged progressed versions too. He's a white male, 5'7", and is now approximately 70 years old. It's also been stated that the suspect may have ties to Vermont, but it's unclear what information led investigators to believe that. And the composite sketches, Tim, what are your thoughts on these? I think they're rather good. Yeah, they do look pretty good. Um, And also kind of looks familiar. I don't know if that's just like the thing about composite sketches, but it just looks like suspects in other cases, don't, don't you think? Yeah, especially the one where age progresses him and puts a mustache on him. That looks like maybe, who am I thinking, Gary Ridgway? I can't put my finger on what other cases it seems to be from. I think a lot of composite sketches, when you're lining them up, all sort of have the same quality, unintentionally have the same quality because of the type of work that's been put into it and also the content that it's representing. But the one that I was looking at is the one where they progress him a little bit and give him a mustache. And he looks eerily like Michael Nicolau, who we now know probably is not the person who attacked Jane Borowski, but was in fact a very violent individual, did at one point reside in Western Massachusetts, and is probably the most likely suspect for his ex-wife's disappearance, Michelle Ashley. 
And just a couple of quick things, Lance. Um, I know we mentioned that there was an abduction attempt from Williamstown. Um, that college student got away. Uh, she's unidentified. But I think it's it's interesting to, to mention that there was an abduction in Williamstown of a 17-year-old young woman named Cynthia Krizak. And this happened in the fall of 1976. And Cynthia's body was discovered in the woods in Windsor. And again, this is just about 14 miles away from where Lynn went missing from and only a few years earlier. And this is also reminiscent, based on the geographical location and the nature of the crimes, to Lewis Lent, who was convicted of murder, rape, and the date of his crimes span from 83 to 94. So just about right before his official murders began. Yeah, Lent is a serial killer. He is currently in prison and also attempted to abduct a 12-year-old girl named Rebecca Severisi, and that happened in 1994. He was unable to. Um, she escaped and then later identified him. So it di- it just reminded me of the case of Lewis Lent, and again, the, um, the geographic location is very close. It's almost a very similar crime, just took place about 10 years before Lent uh, apparently was arrested. One of the key differences in the description, at least, between Lewis Lent and whoever abducted Lynn, especially if we're working off of these composite sketches, is Lewis Lent wore those thick glasses, right? So thick to the point where you would think that he wouldn't be able to really do much not wearing them. And these composite sketches don't represent an individual wearing glasses. Yeah, we definitely urge folks to take a look at the composite sketches. We'll post them on our social media pages. And the Burdicks search tirelessly for Lynn and are still fighting for answers today. They participated in a Dateline episode in recent years, created a Facebook page called Finding Lynn Burdick, and launched a fundraising campaign for billboards to raise awareness about Lynn's disappearance. And Faye, one of Lynn's sisters, told Dateline, quote, Every time my dad went out, he was always looking. Their dying breath was to find her and bring her home. End quote. We hear that all the time, and unfortunately, it's become so common to hear that parents outlive the investigation of their missing child. And I can't even imagine anything close to something like as tragic as that, not having any answers. But there are other members of the Burdick family still out there and still looking for answers in Lynn's disappearance. And that's important to remember. Just because the parents have passed away, that doesn't mean that there aren't members of the family, friends who are still looking, who still want answers. Yeah, and the Burdick mom passed away in 1990 and their father in 2012. Very tragic. Hopefully there are answers soon. And if you can identify the suspect or have any information, you are asked to contact the Berkshire State Police Detective Unit at 413-499-1112 or you can email the Massachusetts State Police Unresolved Case Unit mspunresolved at pol.state.ma.us.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.